What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking the Box College Football Edition, the second part of our three-part bowl. Uh, what are we going to call it? Extravaganza, bowl, uh, whatever we're going to call it. Still working yeah. title. Maybe by episode three, we'll figure it out. But we are back to break down the second half of the 2023 bowl calendar. I am, of course, your host, Reed Wallach, joined, as always, by Cody Williams. You can follow Cody on Twitter, at the sizzle 20 Follow me on Twitter at Reed Wallach. Cody, we have made it through the first, like, close to half, a little short at like 40, 30% of what we broke down. And then the first week of bowl games. Mm-hmm. Before we get into a really loaded show here, any thoughts on the opening slate of bowl games? It's, uh, there's been some clunkers. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the Miami, Ohio, Appalachian state hurricane game in the middle of December comes to mind for sure. But, uh, it's been, I feel like it's been a fun start. I know it wasn't fun for you, but the Western Kentucky old dominion game was, a was actually a fun game. I know you told me not to bring it up, but it was a fun <laughs> game, regardless of what side you had. The, the worst part about being on the wrong end of like a crazy comeback like that is that when that game gets like recirculated every year in bowl like craziness and chaos? Like I'm gonna need to be like, yep, at ODU there, at, at, yep. at the monarch there. Like gonna have to just like sit and like sit with. And listen, it goes the same other way. Like if you had Western Kentucky, you get to go and go like, oh, remember this one? This was sick. Like that Monday oh, afternoon yeah. where I this all happened. Whatever got like them on a crazy live number, and I'm just sitting there like, nope, not not for read. They uh, 28. I I want to like. I want to ask like, uh, the bet side of people, can I do a like power ranking the most tilting moments of that game, like one to five? And there's a lot more, but like which oh, play yeah. was like the most annoying because it easily is a fourth and fourth and game from the 15. Just don't cover a guy wide open. Touchdown. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, it's, you know, Auburn, Alabama with lower stakes. You know, just don't cover the guy. No, the no, no, no. So much, why would you do much that? Much more stakes in the famous toast. <laughs> for you personally, for sure. <laughs> So, like I said, if you missed last week's show, I know it's going to be a little weird because there's games tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday. So, if you missed those, go back to last week's episode. We broke those down at the end of last week's show. This one is going to go through games December 26th through New Year's Day, including the college football playoff semifinals, which we're going to start really quickly. We've got a lot of games to get to. We're going to make sure we hit them all as concise as possible. We'll give you everything you need to know. 
so far, again, this is counting games from last Saturday through last night, Tuesday, the UTSA Marshall game. I am four and four. Cody is three, four and one. Slow start, but I think there's like that's eight. I think there's like forty other games to get to. So we will yeah. more more than plenty to dig into. If you want to bet on bowl season, make sure you do it with Sleeper Fantasy. Sleeper is matching all new users first bet first deposit up to one hundred dollars when they sign up with the code FANSIDED two. That's the number two. So FANSIDED two, and you will get your first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. When you are a new sleeper daily fantasy user, again, please remember to always game responsibly. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can scan the barcode in the top left. That would give you access to sleeper. So let's talk some bulls. And we will start with the two biggest bulls of the year. It is, of course, the college football playoff semifinals. We have the Rose Bowl between Alabama and Michigan. And then we'll get to the Sugar Bowl between Texas and Washington. So, Cody, I will give you... Uh, first serve here, Rose Bowl, Alabama, Michigan. You have Michigan about a two-point favorite, total of 45 and a half. Before like, you get into your pick, mm-hmm. maybe like a little bit more of like, let's take a step back and see how do you assess this one? Is there a real matchup that you're interested to see? Maybe a big inflection point in this game. Any thoughts on the Rose Bowl? Yeah, so I think the biggest matchup that I'm looking to see, like looking for in this game, is actually on both sides of the ball. Like looking for the defensive lines against these offensive lines, because I think these offensive lines are a bit suspect. We talked about that with Alabama, but Michigan's offensive line from a Joe Moore winning uh, unit last year has taken a step back, and we know how fierce the Michigan pass rush and their defensive front is, and we know how fierce the you know Alabama pass rush is. So. I just wonder how much that's going to affect these offenses in this game and like if it's going to result in a clunky performance or if we're going to see, you know, Sharon Moore and Tommy Reese figure out ways to combat that. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And to, I guess, like the next part of your point, the quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. because I think we can agree that J.J. McCarthy has taken a step forward, but he hasn't been asked to do so much because Michigan likes to basically ram just down the field, just pound you into submission, not even like explosive plays, but just get to third and short, maybe even go for it on fourth and one, almost like the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL. They're playing a four down game where they just get to third and fourth and short and they just overpower you with size. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's going to work in this one because it's an SEC defense. Alabama has blue chippers everywhere. So I wonder, will J.J. McCarthy be and? He has been able to when called upon, but will he be able to against what will be the best secondary he's seen this entire year? And honestly, probably in his entire career, this is a really good Alabama defense. I wouldn't say it's one of the best in recent memory, like when he when Michigan ran to Georgia two years ago. I know different, right. but I I wonder. It's not like Michigan has a Marvin Harrison Jr. on the yeah. outside, or like a Xavier Worthy, or a Roma Dunze. There's no real like pro pro I mean Colson Loveland, maybe like these receivers, like there's no true like blue chip NFL prospect here. So I do wonder how Michigan's gonna do that because I agree with you. I don't know if like playing bully ball is gonna work against this Alabama defense. And on the other side, is Alabama's offensive line gonna hold up outside mm-hmm. of the top 100 in sacks? Jalen Milrow has been incredible on hitting deep passes, but really up and down. And I just wonder if and we, we, I can now turn this into like how we're handicapping this game. 
I do wonder if people are remembering the really great big plays, like the fourth and game we were talking about a few minutes yeah. ago, uh, the big play to Isaiah Bond in the SEC championship game that really wasn't a catch, but besides the point, really flipped the game on its heels. Uh, people are forgetting that he's Jalen Milrow is still really up and down and still a really unproven passer down to down. And Alabama wasn't super mm-hmm. efficient down to down. It was a lot of big plays and chunk plays. So I do wonder if maybe people are looking into Jalen Milrow thinking that like this is the next like he's really found his stride possible. But is there also a chance that it's like boomer bust? And I don't know if that's going to work against Michigan's defense. No, 100 percent. And then you go. I mean, just thinking about the SEC championship game, one of the things that opened up some plays for Milrow, because I mean, Milrow and Beck, for that matter, didn't play the quarterback play in the SEC championship game was not anything to write home about by any means. But one of the things Alabama was able to do in that game was run on a suspect Georgia run defense. Michigan's run defense is not suspect. They're not going to be able to run the ball at the same level they did in the SEC championship game. So, like, it's going to be a lot on Milrose plate. And like you said, we've talked about it all season. The consistency with this Alabama offense just isn't necessarily there as much as it is explosive plays and relying heavily on that. But against Michigan, that's a very tall task to rely on that. So, where are you going in this game? Best bet. Uh, I think, I mean, I've kind of been hitting at it. Under 45 and a half. I just don't see a lot of points in this game, man. I think that this game is going to be a battle in the trenches. I think we're going to see the defenses consistently win. Like, I have more faith in both defenses than I do in either of these offenses, particularly with J.J. McCarthy. The only time we've seen J.J. McCarthy really have to take up the onus of the offense was when they were trailing against TCU in last year's college football playoff semifinal, and he still came up short, and that was obviously a much inferior defense to what he's going to see Uh on the first this year. So I just don't, I think that honestly getting into the twenties in this game might be enough to win it. I think it's a very, a very rock fighty, one of the lowest scoring playoff games we've ever seen. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be played in the trenches and it's going to be a low scoring affair. I just, I can't seem to shake. And I've been on the Michigan's the best team bandwagon all year. So I kind of got to put my money where my mouth is and take Michigan. Uh, I'll lay the two. I, I think Michigan wins this game. I agree with you. It's going to be a tight game. I don't think Michigan like blows him out. I don't know if there's yeah. some like this game is likely going to be tight. I just think that the volatility of Alabama's season, I think is clout. Like we're, we're getting them at their high, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. is going to remember the SEC championship game where they beat Georgia and everything. And I just think that's maybe giving a break on the price. Whereas Michigan Maybe they're not as good as we thought they were at a point this season, and maybe they didn't have that next gear, but they've still dominated every team in its path, whether it's the Big Ten or not. I I don't know if Alabama has the explosive weapons to mm-hmm. expose Al- or expose Michigan, sorry, like TCU did last year, yeah. or to physically overpower Michigan like Georgia did two years ago in the college football playoff. This to me is a a good Alabama team, not a great one. And I still hold this Michigan team in very high regard. I think it's going to come down to a few plays. And honestly, I trust J.J. McCarthy to avoid the mistakes and to Mm -hmm. avoid the big negative plays and to keep the offense on schedule. Then I do Alabama I I, uh, and Jalen Milrow for that matter. Jalen Milrow still takes a ton of sacks, still Mm -hmm. tries to like extend the play where there's nothing there. Whereas McCarthy, I think, has become a much more precision passer, like with more reps has become a better decision maker as well. And Michigan, they throw at the 120th highest uh, rate in terms of passes per game. Yeah. They are fifth in EPA per pass. 
Uh-huh. So they don't throw a lot, but when they do, they're efficient. I don't know if you're getting chunk plays like 50 yards, but I do think Michigan is going to be able to string together the long sustaining drives where Alabama is going to need to hit on those big plays. And Michigan secondary is absolutely lights out top five mm-hmm. in EPA per pass. And I know you're going to say, well, they played the big 10. I mean, Ohio state took them a while to really get into a groove and they have Marvin Harrison jr. And I got news for you. Alabama doesn't Alabama. have that. It, Alabama doesn't have this isn't like a few years ago where it was what Jamison Williams and John Mechie uh, yeah all this is not the most uh Devontae Smith any of those guys Devontae, like it, it, the, this isn't your typical Alabama offense Jermaine Burden starting to really good I think Isaiah Bond is coming on strong but I just don't know if those guys are going to be the game breakers that um that Michigan could maybe struggle with in the secondary so I do like Michigan laying the two uh, so you took the total. I want to know who do you think wins the game. So I do. This lean doesn't Michigan. count. I'm just curious, like who do you think? No, absolutely. I I do lean Michigan, and I think one thing that you kind of hinted at, but that really sticks out to me. JJ McCarthy's been on this stage before. He was in the college football playoff last year, and from the erratic, like the still erratic, even if it's much improved from early in the season play that we've seen from Jalen Milrow, I worry about him in this moment when he's face, facing arguably the best defense that he's seen on mm. this stage with so much stakes. I worry that some of his worst habits like taking sacks, like holding onto the ball too long, like trying to force an explosive play when it's not there. I worry that that's going to come back to bite Alabama. Whereas with McCarthy having been in this position before, I'm less concerned about those mistakes. Yeah, 100%. Let's move on to the Sugar Bowl. New Year's Day, 845 Eastern between Texas and Washington. Washington, the two seed, higher seed, underdog. Uh, mm-hmm. Washington's a four-point underdog, total of 63 and a half. Before we get into betting this, what are you most interested to see, Cody, between these two high-octane offenses? I mean, there's <laughs> there's talent everywhere on both offenses. Yeah. Uh, what are you looking for in this one before we get into our best bet? I kind of want to see what Washington and Kalen DeBoer's game plan is going to be offensively in this game. Him and Ryan Grubb have done a phenomenal job of adapting throughout the season, I think, where we saw, you know, when Michael Penix, who we kind of surmised wasn't 100% healthy, they started really, like, adjusting and relying on Dylan Johnson a lot more in the run game. And they started doing it pretty effectively down the end of the stretch. Like we saw Dylan Johnson have a monster game in the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon, but Texas is one of the best run defenses in the country. Mm -hmm. And so, and I I think that they are going to be able to control the trenches in this game. So do they just completely abandon the run game if you're Washington, or do you like, do you find creative ways to open up the run game and try to negate the talent advantage that Texas might have in the trenches? So that game plan for Washington really sticks out to me because I think Texas is a more is more well suited personnel wise to be a balanced offense in this matchup, but I want to see what how Washington adjusts to that. Hundred percent, I, I great point. I I'll go to the other side of the ball on how Texas offense looks to attack Washington because Texas they lose Jonathan Brooks, their thousand yard rusher. They have plenty of prospects yeah. there, but I, I don't think one as polished right now as Jonathan Brooks. But you have C.J. Baxter, Blue, uh, Keelan Robinson had a few big plays in the Big Twelve championship game. That's the weak spot of the Washington defense. They're bottom five in terms of uh, defensive line yards, bottom 15 in terms of defensive success rate on the ground. But I just wonder, month to prepare, not as much of a polished running game. Are they going to take the ball to Quinn Ewer's hands and try and say, hey, we're going to maul you up front and really push you around? Because Washington secondary has really come on strong. I think, and we're going to get into this in the handicap of the game, but Washington has evolved over this season. It started the year as this basically an air raid offense where Michael Penix is chucking the ball all around the yard. And then it became a 
physical ground and pound attack, uh, stingy defense in the secondary. I mean, Jabbar Muhammad is you know looking like he's turning himself into a future NFL prospect. So I do wonder, mm-hmm. can Washington come up with the big stops? Can Washington come up with you know the timely you know stop the deep pass? I mean, Washington's top twenty in terms of explosive pass defense. So. I do wonder if they can maybe keep a lid on this Texas offense, which has a ton of pop. And just one other thing before we get to the handicap of this game, I do wonder the coaching matchup. Mm -hmm. Steve Sarkeesian, biggest game this year. Pretty much the only big game Texas was in this year in terms of like, or that's not true, sorry. Second biggest game of the year besides the Alabama game where Sarkeesian passed flying colors. But in a game where he was expected to win the Oklahoma game, the Red River game, Mm-hmm. That last drive, Sark tightened up there and, in mm-hmm. my opinion, cost him the game with his play calling. I do wonder in big games, will Sark show up? I know he did it against Alabama and he was really aggressive and they went for it. Just a different type of expectation when you're the underdog on the road versus like now expected to win. I feel like it changes yeah. how people act. He's going up against Kalen DeBoer, who I think this year, best coach in football. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the best decision makers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just a guy who in a game that's likely going to be decided by like one play, two plays, the guy tips as many, you know, tips as much of the scale as possible into his favor. So I do give Kalen DeBoer a pretty, you know, I wouldn't say sizable, but I do give him an edge here in terms of coaching decisions. I do wonder if that plays a role. If there's a big moment where DeBoer goes for it and Sark punts or something like that. I wonder how these two how these two coaches are going to treat this game. So how do you see this game going? So that's a really good point, but it's not going to deter me because like you with being on Michigan all year, I've been on Texas all year and I can't stop now. I'm taking Texas minus four. I think that when you look at Washington's secondary, you talk about their development and how they've really like, and I spoke on it too, how they've adjusted as the season has gone on and gotten better and more balanced as the year has gone on. I don't think that they face someone that that can hit you from the angles, particularly offensively like Texas can. For as good as this, or for as improved as this Washington secondary is, they don't have someone who's going to be able to one-on-one cover A.D. Mitchell or Xavier Worthy. Those are two bona fide first-round pick NFL talents. Like they are the dudes. And then you have Jatavion Sanders in the middle of the field. And you also brought up a month to prepare. I think that really benefits a guy like CJ Baxter, who maybe didn't really have the run as like the starting running back throughout the season. And when you're in the middle of the thralls of a season, you can't really adjust to that. I think it's going the month to prepare is going to really benefit the run game as well, where Washington is susceptible. I do think that Washington is going to put up points in this game. Like, I don't think that Texas is going to shut them down, but I do think it is going to be a lot on Michael Penix to come up with these explosive plays, which with Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, more than capable in this unit, this Washington offense. But I do think that Texas has an, has more talent on the defensive end that is going to come up with plays, particularly in the trenches, that I think that they have the decisive edge in this game. Yeah, it's all fair points. One thing to know, Xavier Worthy did get hurt in the Big 12 championship game, mm-hmm. was in crutches on the sideline, has a month off. I, I looked this morning. I still haven't seen an update, really. So yeah. something to monitor. I I didn't see that like he tore ligaments or anything, so I imagine he will play, which is something to keep an eye on. Um, I personally like Washington in the game. Okay. I just think big games. I, I think I trust this Washington team. I feel like they've just kind of outperformed expectations all year. That being said, I'm, I, I, my best bet, though, is on the over for, I think, okay. a lot of what we've been saying. I I just think that there's too many weapons on the field for both sides that they're not going to score. I just yeah. – I, I struggle. Maybe it starts slow, 
and then like things pick up, but like there's just too many, two incredible play callers, two incredible schemers, and then just the weapons everywhere. I just think that there's going to be home run threats. And also there's going to be aggressive play calling. I think that yeah. there's going to be fourth downs where you go for it, maybe even in your own territory. And that could set up a short field and a quick score. So I know the total's high at 63 and a half, but like, I still like it. I, I don't, this doesn't strike. Well, I don't think Washington is built to really shut down Texas. I completely turn the water off. Yeah. And while Texas, their defensive line is really good. Secondary is pretty untested. Yeah. They were, they were, you know, they Alabama, tackle was poorly hit, too. Alabama was able to hit big plays on them. Uh, Oklahoma was able to hit big plays on them. I know Oklahoma state got smoked, but they were able to move the ball on them. Uh, TCU as well. Like they, even if uh, Texas is putting up points, like they have not been able to really throttle offenses with a pulse. I Texas Tech, sure, 57-7, but like season finale, I, I'm kind of going to throw that one away. Uh, this is Washington, obviously, giving them a month to prepare. I also think we just mentioned how like this team has went through like the biggest gauntlet ever, it feels like, in terms of close games, big games, injuries, everything. Like talk about a team. I know you said that like give Sark a month or give CJ Baxter a month to get comfortable. How about like give Washington a month to like just catch their breath yeah. and make sure they're all good? Because Texas kind of like just kind of made their way right through the the season. You know, not they had some close games and all, but they it wasn't like what Washington went through. So I, I think that the month off could potentially help them uh and have a sound offensive game plan. So I like the over 63 and a half. And honestly, I'll I'll take I think Washington wins the game outright. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Is that, uh, we, is that just your negative feelings because you were on Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game? No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, think, I think Washington, I think the team is a little bit more battle-tested. I think that there's enough matchup advantages where I think that they could get done. And again, I, I have this just this feeling that's going to come down to one big play, like mm-hmm. one big decision, a fourth down and short or something. And I just trust Washington to get it done more than Texas. So I, I think it's going to be Michigan, Washington. And then I think Michigan okay. stomps Washington. And that's how I think the playoffs are going to go. I, I mean, I like that. I would rather obviously see Michigan, Texas. Um, I think that's uh, I, more I fun match. I think Michigan, Texas, I think Texas actually wins. Like my, really? my first okay. lot, obviously I got to think about it, see how this game goes and everything. But like my first my gut feeling was I think Michigan matches up better with Alabama than Michigan does with Texas. I think that makes sense too, because Michigan doesn't have, like you talk about the weakness of Texas being the secondary and being unproven, Mm -hmm. you know, Michigan doesn't really have the guys to test that in the way that Washington does. So I I mean, I would argue that Washington's Texas's toughest matchup in this entire playoff, because even having to beat Alabama twice, I still think there are just a lot of matchup advantages for Texas in that matchup, which is why I had Texas in the first meeting. Yeah, I you did. You were all over it. So good points there. A uh, lot going on. And we'll see how the playoffs – we'll see how the semifinals shake out. And then, of course, we're going to have our special episode uh, breaking down the national championship. Okay, great stuff on the CFP. We now have a million bowl games to get through. So we're going to motor through these. We're going to give you guys all the transfer portal opt-out news we have available at the time of this recording to get you all ready for all the bowl games. Okay, let's start. Day after Christmas, Tuesday, December 26th, 2 p.m. kick, the Quick Lane Bowl. Bowling Green taking on Minnesota. Bowling Green finished the year really strong. Unclear if they're going to have their star running back, Terrion Stewart, back. He missed the last like two or three games with a leg injury. Mm-hmm. Minnesota, though, absolutely gutted. Lost their starting quarterback, Calic Manis. Lost their backup. They're starting their third-string quarterback, 
call Cole Kramer. Uh, I saw a report that they like Minnesota basically it's like pay him like 30 grand just to stay and like not leave. Uh, He denied it, but I I think it's true. So, yeah. Uh, (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. But Minnesota, not not even bowl eligible. There weren't enough bowl eligible teams. So the five and seven Gophers due to, I believe, strength of record get into this bowl game against a Mac team in Bowling Green. Uh, Cody, thoughts on the quick lane bowl? Uh, give me the under 38 and a half, man. This mm, game's going to be ugly yeah. as sin. I mean, uh, Cole Kramer, in case you were curious, has one pass attempt on the season. It was an interception. So <laughs> <laughs> he's over one with one interception, zero yards. So, but they're taking on this Bowling Green team, one of the least efficient offenses in the country. Yes, they came on strong towards the end of the year, but. You know, with injury questions at running back, I just don't see how either of these teams are going to be able to score. I think Minnesota probably has an advantage on the defensive line and pushing Bowling Green around. We've seen MAC teams historically kind of struggle in these bowl game environments, particularly against Power Five competition. So I just I think this is one. Honestly, I might not even tune in for. I'm not looking really forward to the quick lane bowl. I like Bowling Green in this game. I think they're going to win outright. Okay. I think Minnesota, this mass exodus. Uh, I honestly, Bowling Green, something, and this is not like a trend. This was their last year as well. Bowling Green is like a lights out defensive line. I don't know what Scott Lofer is doing there, but they've been able to like get a ton of pressure year after year. I mean, this team beat Georgia Tech earlier this year. So like this Bowling Green team, and listen, I'm not going to say Connor Bazelak is like something special or anything, but the guy does have power five experience. So I think him finally, he came from, I'm going to, I believe he went Missouri, then Indiana or vice versa, Indiana, then Missouri. I think it was Missouri, then Indiana. I think you're right. Yeah. I think that's right. And then he drops down to the Mac and I'm not going to, again, he's nothing special, but maybe that was like the right landing spot for him. And you know, that level of play is where he could actually find uh, like a true starting position. Uh, Bowling Green, though, the defensive side of the ball, 15, uh, I'm sorry, top 20 in terms of EPA per rush allowed and their top 15 in EPA per rush, Minnesota, They've played like this style of ball against Big Ten West teams, and they haven't really done really well. They're 90th in EPA per rush. So I don't think Bowling Green's going to light it up or anything, but I just trust Bowling Green, who is second in turnovers force, to really get to a third stringer who has basically no experience. And like we, we do a motivation. Give me BG yeah. all day. They definitely want to be there. Minnesota has no interest. They're, the guy starting a quarterback doesn't have any interest. No, absolutely. Like you got to pay the guy 30 grand to show up. I think you're on the right side. I, I still like my play because I think that it, I, if Bowling Green won this game 17 to nothing, 21 to nothing, it would not. Yeah, me. I, I just, I don't see Minnesota putting anything on the board. I don't know how they do. I agree. Let's move on to the first responder bowl. Also Tuesday, five 30 kick, uh, Texas state taking on rice, Texas state into their first bowl in a few years. Rice made a bowl last year, lost. Starting AJ Padgett after JT Daniels retires uh, due to medical reasons. Padgett started in their bowl game last year, though, so he has some experience. He, he this is I'm not going to say he's anything special, but this isn't like we're talking Cole Kramer coming in. This is a, <laughs> this is a guy who has some experience and can play a little bit uh, against a Texas State team. Really strong year for the Bobcats and Sun Belt play. Cody, where are you looking here? Uh, we're looking at Texas State, a five and a half point favorite with a total of sixty. Yeah, I'm going over 60, and it, it was one of the uh, my favorite plays for today, actually. Uh, these two defenses okay. are middling at their best and awful at their worst, frankly. And Texas State plays at a really breakneck pace. They average the seventh most place per game. Rice plays much slower, 
but they are top 30 in explosive plays this season. So I think that we're just going to see these defenses get taken advantage of for this entire game while Texas State pushes the pace and while Rice just hits explosive play after explosive play, even with a backup quarterback in there. Like you said, it's not, you know, it's not JT Daniels, but it's also not a tremendous drop off either, I don't think. So I think we just see a ton of scoring in this game. I think Texas State controls much of the pace. I think when you play a team that plays at the breakneck pace that Texas State does, I think that it forces your hand a little bit. And so I think over 60 is going to be left in the dust. Yeah, I agree with you. And Texas State's super aggressive. Uh, they have the second most tackles for loss this year, but they're also a hot, uh, outside the top 120 in explosive play rate. So that's like kind of that boomer bust type of mentality, which yeah. I mean, if you're watching these bowl games, you see like, yeah, you can make some big plays but like that. There's also a lot of like broken coverages in the backside <laughs> and there's a lot of bad tackles, a lot of bad penalties. So I do think that this game could get loose. I agree with you. I am also on the over as well. Um, just really quick before we move on, Paget uh, played in three games this year, seven to three touchdown interception ratio. Last year against Southern Miss, 295 yards and three tutties. Uh, Rice yeah. overall, pass happy offense. They average about six yards per play. So I, this is a, again, Paget has some experience. The offense is pretty good. Texas State, we know, like you said, they like to play fast. I think this game sets up for a ton of points. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just seems like this is going to be a fun one. Uh, you may not have watched yeah, much Texas State and Rice, but I think it's going to be a fun one. That's a good one. Uh, guaranteed rate bowl. Two teams mm-hmm. that uh, overachieved this year. Kansas and UNLV meet at Chase Field. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to producer Joanne uh, in Phoenix. 9 p.m. kick here. Kansas laying a, a big number. One of the bigger favorites of the bowl calendar. 12 and a half is the spread. Total of 64 and a half. Also one of the highest uh, totals of the bowl season cody where are you looking here uh you know playing this game in a baseball stadium we got to take the under 64 and a half uh baseball stadium baseball stadium unders is kind of a kind of a low-key trend for me but uh you know we've seen these two teams put up high point totals throughout the season but neither of them play particularly fast like they're both slower paced teams kansas i believe ranks outside the top 100 both ranks outside the top 50 and unlv's defense has been efficient this season and while kansas has been a sieve I do think that the talent advantage from the Big 12 to the Mountain West shows up a little bit and that Kansas's defense does have a little more success. With the game running this slow, with Barry Odom as the head coach of UNLV probably dialing something up to combat Lance Leipold. Also, remember, Kansas lost their offensive coordinator to Penn State. So yeah, I think that – so, yes, and going up against Barry Odom, one of the better, more respected defensive minds in the country, I just – 64 and a half is just a little rich for my blood. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, I'm on the under as well. Uh I UNLV was good to me all year, but I just, I don't really know what I'm going to get from UNLV the way they ended yeah. the season. Also just something to keep in mind, Jaden Maeva, the stud freshman quarterback in the Madden West championship game, he hurt his knee, mm-hmm. got pulled from like, tried playing a drive, couldn't plan, got pulled. There was rumors he was in the portal. Then he wasn't. <clears throat> I'm not, this is just me. I'm not betting this. Cause I, I do feel like there's a world where he doesn't play. They have right. Rumfield the backup, but just something to keep in mind. Uh, Jason Bean should be playing in this game. Uh, but like you said, Kansas losing their offense coordinator. Col- I'm going to say it wrong. I got to figure it out by next season. But Coral Lenecki. Uh, there's a reason I didn't say it. Uh, he's going to Penn State. So I do think maybe there's a little bit of a drop off there. It's just this is a very, very high total. I understand this game might get absolutely nuts. But listen, if Kansas is going to blow out UNLV like this like I don't know if the game is going to be super high scoring I think it would be more like UNLV's offense just can't really get into gear yeah. uh I, I agree with you on the under here 
it's it's weird because like I'm trying to watch these bowl games and get a gauge of what's going on. And sometimes they start fast and then it like drops like a brick, like last night's game between UTSA and Marshall, but other games, you know, the games could get loose, but these are like some games, like we're talking like Ohio state, Georgia Southern got really frisky at the end. And like, just there are broken plays everywhere. That total closed like 48. So it's a pretty low bar to get over. 64 and a half is a very lofty expectation that both offense are going to be putting up points. You know, if, if Kansas wins this game, you know, and they end up covering with ease and it's a blowout, like 38, 20 or something like that, like that's still way under, you have nearly a touchdown cushion there. So I do think it's just too high of an expectation for two offenses that might not be in full gear. Yeah, no, I think you're hundred percent right. And, uh, Want to shout out producer Joanne, who is uh, taking the D-backs in this one. <laughs> so that's a great call. Let's move to Wednesday, December 27th, the Military Bowl with the remnants of the Tulane Green Wave against Virginia Tech. Uh, playing this one in Annapolis, 2 p.m. kick, like I said. Virginia Tech all the way out now to a nine-and-a-half point favorite. Total of 44-and-a-half. Cody, thoughts here? I'm taking the Hokies minus nine and a half. Uh, Frankly, I just don't know how Tulane puts points on the board. Uh, Not only is Michael Pratt opted out, but Kai Horton, who backed up and played really well at times throughout the season for a backup quarterback for Tulane. He's also in the portal, so he's likely not to play. I believe their third stringer is also in the portal, if I'm not mistaken. So I just don't see how this Tulane offense is really going to operate. They're also going through a coaching change. Willie Fritz is now at Houston. John Summerall is coming in. But I think it's just a period of transition. I don't see any motivation for Tulane in this game. Whereas, you know, Virginia Tech, Brent Pry, this is a team that, you know, came into the season with pretty modest expectations, if not low expectations. And they're in a bowl game. I think there's a lot of motivation on that side. And against the depleted Tulane roster, I think the Hokies come out and kind of blow this one away. Yeah, Tulane, like I said, the remnants. Uh, there's nothing really left here. We got uh, Tulane, no Michael Pratt. Like you said, no backup in Kai Horton. It would leave uh, Justin Ibita, the backup. They have Tulane will also be down their top two receivers uh, in yeah. what we got, Lawrence Keys and Chris Brazell. Jaquan Jackson would be the only real notable receiver back. And then on the defense, you have one, two, three starters out for this one, including a bunch of coaches as well. So it's going to be a real ragtag group of uh, Tulane football here. So I agree with you. I think Virginia Tech, they scored 28 or more in every ACC game outside of playing Louisville and FSU, which isn't too bad when you think about it. Those are the two uh, ACC championship games, uh, opponents. I, though, I don't know. I, I just I think that this number has hit a point where I'm not interested in laying with Tech anymore. I know Tulane might be terrible, but who knows? I mean, the way the, the way bowl season's going, maybe Tulane just wins the game outright. But uh, I right. went, I went first half under though. I think if there's going to be anything in this game, mm-hmm. it will be Tulane's defense trying to limit big plays and Virginia Tech's defense kind of just dominating. Virginia Tech top twenty in terms of tackles for loss. I think just a yeah. slow start to this game. Uh, you know. I'm just I'm, I I know Kyron Jones has really come on, but this is still a run heavy Vatech team. So maybe the clock burns a little bit. Twenty three and a half total has been dropping like a brick. I think I think this is a good way to attack this game. Maybe first half under, and then maybe in the second half, like things get wild, like we've been saying. No, I like that a lot because if Tulane is going to compete in this game, I think it'll be with like what you're saying, like kind of getting frisky in the second half. But like there's so much inexperience that's going to be on the field that I think it's going to take them. If it does happen, it's going to take them a second to hit their stride. Uh, I, 
I will say, full disclosure, if you know Virginia Tech hits double digits as a favorite, I'm not touching that. Mm. Like I'm taking the nine and a half because we're not at double digits yet. But it, like if it was at ten, I would not be taking. It. Yeah. So like I'm not. This isn't one of my most confident plays by any means. Also, like the rare spot of like Vatech is now laying a big number. I know bowl season's like different, but like we'll see how they handle uh, being a big favorite. Let's move on yeah. to Wednesday early evening, five thirty kick. Duke's Mayo Bowl, one of the favorites, uh, fan favorite. Which coach will? have uh mayo dumped on them we got west virginia's neil brown going up against uh mac brown of north carolina uh cody i think we're on the same page here it would be really funny to watch the old man mac brown get mayo dumped all over him i don't know if he'd partake Mm -hmm. but no drake may is probably going to make and uh tez walker going to make that probably an uphill battle westvah out to a six point favorite in this one where are you looking uh, so I'm going West Virginia team total over 31 and a half. Uh, I'm not touching a side in this game because frankly, I don't trust either defense. Uh, I think that if Omarion Hampton plays in this game for North Carolina, I think he can actually have a pretty nice game against this West Virginia run defense, which has been a little suspect. But let me go ahead and assure you as a North Carolina fan, North Carolina is not stopping anything West Virginia wants to do on the ground in this game, whether it's Garrett Green taking off at quarterback, C.J. Donaldson, Jaheim White. I mean, West Virginia has been one of the more versatile and efficient run offense, rushing offenses in the country this season. That's why they're in a bowl game. I don't think North Carolina's defense, which has struggled with the run to begin with, like we watched Georgia Tech run it down their throat for 60 minutes and they lost Georgia Tech in that game. With no Drake May, I think this just kind of gets out of hand. West Virginia puts up a big number. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I went a different route. I'm just going to lay it with West Virginia. Uh, North okay. Carolina, 99th in EPA per rush this year. And let me just rattle off uh, the, rattle off uh, ACC points allowed since the beginning of October. 39 points, 31 points, 45 points, 46 points, 41 points, 31 points. West Virginia is 13th in yards per carry, and they average uh, over 5.2 yards per carry. Give me the Mountaineers. Uh, I think this team has overachieved all year, and they cap it with a blowout victory against a North Carolina team that likely doesn't care with a backup quarterback. Uh, yeah, I think you're probably right. It that was that felt like an, a personal attack on me as a North Carolina fan, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, the Holiday Bowl. It is uh, Wednesday, mm-hmm. December 27th, 8 p.m. Kick Petco Park. Louisville taking on USC. USC obviously no Caleb Williams. Also won't have Marshawn Lloyd. And Brendan Rice, among some other key guys. Uh, Louisville, I don't know if they're going to have Thrash or Jawar Jordan. Those two, I don't think, have made a firm commitment yet. People had rumored that those guys might be looking elsewhere to the NFL. Uh, Cody, what are your thoughts on this one? A baseball stadium. So I'm wondering if uh, maybe you're going to ride that under train. I mean, I thought about it. Don't don't you worry about that. But I'm uh, I'm ended up going. I'm going Louisville minus seven and a half. Uh, USC's defense might improve with the Anton Lynn taking over, uh, but it's not going to be in San Diego this uh, in this game. They not only are has the defense been horrendous and needs a lot of personnel turnover, but we're seeing some of that turnover already. We saw Corey Foreman's in the portal, uh, Damani Jackson's in the portal. They've lost a lot of talent on both sides of the ball that are not going to be playing in this game. Jeff Brom is one of the best schematic offensive minds we have in college football. I don't have a lot of faith in Jack Plummer, frankly, but I do have a lot of faith in Jack Plummer against this shell of a USC defense that was one of the worst in the country already. I think that if anyone cares about this game, it's Louisville. Certainly not Lincoln Riley and USC. They're probably looking to just get out of Dodge. So I'm, I'm laying the points with Louisville. 
Yeah. I, I saw we had a lot of agreements and this is one where I'm on the fence. So I was like, all right, I'll go head to head here and see if we could separate a little bit. So I took the points with USC. Uh, okay. If there's one thing USC can do it is rush the passer and they really weren't that the, the defense is terrible, but at least like most guys are showing up. Uh, they were 24th uh, ranked in terms of PFF grading in terms of pass rush and Jack Plummer all year has really struggled under pressure. I mean, Look what happened in the AC championship game. They couldn't even get a first down. Uh, 46% yeah. completion percentage and taking 24 sacks under pressure. So I wonder if maybe USC, the defense shows up a little bit and it's still a Lincoln Riley offense. There's still a handful of, uh, you know, blue chip talents there. So I, over a touchdown to me seems like kind of a buy time on USC. I don't know. I, I had to go against you somewhere. So I thought maybe uh, Absolutely. this would uh, shake it up a little bit. So I'll take, it's a big number. So we'll see. Yes. Maybe I end up looking dumb and maybe USC just gets rolled, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Miller Moss likely drawing the start for the Trojans uh, in Pepco Park. And, I mean, like, if I had I, – I don't really know if this really mean anything, but, like, L.A., San Diego, Louisville, yeah. San Diego. Like, maybe there's a home field advantage. I doubt it, but, you know, you never know. So we'll see. I'll take hey. the points there. Maybe you know, maybe Miller Miller Moss sounds like a baseball player more than a quarterback. <laughs> so maybe he's feels comfortable at Petco Park. All right, let's keep it moving. Uh, later that night, we have the Texas Bowl between Texas A&M and Oklahoma State from NRG Stadium in Houston. I believe this is like a two-hour drive from College Station, maybe a little bit further. Uh, Stillwater, uh, also I guess like somewhere in the realm of possibility. Uh, you got a skeleton crew coming for Texas A&M. Pretty much the entire roster is in the transfer portal. Uh, or injured. Mike Elko, of course, taking over for Jimbo Fisher. Oklahoma State, they won't have Ollie Gordon, the Doak Award winner, but pretty much full attendance outside of that. Ollie Gordon was obviously a big reason Mm -hmm. for their run to the Big 12 title game, but should be a pretty full roster here for the Pokes. This number's been trickling down. Cody, where are you thinking here? Yeah, I'm taking the Pokes plus two and a half. Um, even without Ollie Gordon, I think Oklahoma State is going to be able to run the ball. I think that's kind of what they establish as their identity. And yes, AM ranked third defensively in EPA per rush this season, but that was with Walter Nolan. That was with Fidel Diggs. That was with all these guys that are now, you know, looking to go other places in the portal or going other places in the portal already committed. So I think that Oklahoma state is going to be able to run the ball and control the game. I think the biggest key for Oklahoma state is kind of taking the ball out of Alan Bowman's hands. Uh, Alan Bowman, though he has been able to put up some explosive plays. He's also been able to put up some big plays for the defense and, you know, with turnovers and things like that. So I think that the big key for Oklahoma state in the pokes is, making sure that they establish the run, which is obviously more difficult without Ollie Gordon, but I trust this offensive line. I trust Mike Gundy to come in with a good game plan. And I, frankly, I think Texas A&M is kind of in a place where they just don't care because we're we're not even going to have Mike Elko in this game. I believe it's Elijah Robinson who's going to be the DC at uh, Syracuse. So like what's he finishing out, especially when all the players he's recruited are either in the portal or not playing in this game. I completely agree. Uh, Little motivation for the Texas A&M side. Mike Gundy, 11 and 6 against the spread in bowl game. So typically tends to get a good effort here. Texas AM, 120th in turnovers forced and outside the top 100, 110 in terms of explosive pass defense. So Bowman, a little bit of a risk taker, but this is a team that you could throw on uh, and doesn't really make you pay. So I do think that Oklahoma State is going to be up to the task. This is one of my favorite bowl plays, honestly. I think uh, okay. as the uh, most of the content creators say nowadays, uh, wrong team favored. 
I think Oklahoma State yeah. honestly closes as a favorite in this game as we get closer. So that wipes out uh, Wednesday, December 27th, almost uh, into the stretch run here. Thursday, December 28th, the Fenway Bowl mm-hmm. at Fenway Park. Uh, SMU oh, taking wow. on Boston College. So BC, the local team, really great story this year, really turned their year around. Looked like Jeff Hafley was a dead man walking. Goes to Tommy Castellanos. They clinch ball eligibility with time to spare. Take on the AAC champions, SMU, who turned into one of the best G5 teams this year under uh, second-year head coach Rhett Lashley. No presence zone, though, in this one, but Jennings stepped in in the AAC title game and didn't really seem to miss a beat outside the first two drives. So SMU comes in, I think, kind of like got hosed here with this game. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. what? One loss, AAC champ. Uh, feel like yeah. they deserved a little bit better. But 11 a.m. kick here on Thursday, December 28th. Probably going to be freezing. Uh, any thoughts yeah. and plays on this one, Cody? Uh, so I'm taking uh, the quote-unquote home team, Boston College, plus 11. I think that's a really big number. I understand why the number is where it is. Because, like you said, Jennings came in for Stone and played extremely well in the AAC championship game. SMU's defense, one of the most underrated units in the country. Like, G5, Power 5, doesn't matter. That defense is legitimate. And we saw it against that two-lane team in the AAC championship game. This SMU defense is good. But I think Thomas Castellanos offers a unique enough of a challenge with his ability to run, with his ability to extend plays, that SMU's defense is going to have at least a little bit of trouble handling his mobility, handling the explosive plays he's able to create. And on top of that, you mentioned SMU kind of getting the short end of the stick. I wonder how much SMU actually cares going into this game. Because when they won the AAC, you have to imagine they were thinking about that G5 New Year's Six bid. Mm-hmm. And now they're playing in the Fenway Bowl against a Boston-based team. I wonder if there's a little bit of a motivation. So getting you know more than double digits with ostensibly a home team in Boston College with a player who you and I both are very high on and Thomas Castellanos, I think that he's a playmaker that's going to make some difference. And then – you go to the Jennings side on SMU. Yes, he played well in the AAC championship game. This is an inexperienced guy and a t- going to be a tough road environment for him. I don't know. I worry about whether or not the consistency is there on that offense for SMU. It's all fair points, but I kind of think SMU is just going to absolutely work them. So, I mean, let, I get it. So, I think BC, they thrive where they can run the ball right down your throat, right? They they use like their unique scheme. They use motion and everything, and they get like Castellanos in space. But SMU is eighth in terms of rushing success rate allowed and seventh in passing success rate allowed. I mean, this is like an elite defense. Yeah. And they played some high-flying offenses. So I think SMU is going to absolutely shut down whatever BC wants to do. No real significant opt-outs here for the Stangs either. So I think – this matchup sets up pretty well. I mean, fifth in terms of sacks, 15th in terms of yards per carry. I think they're going to shut down BC. And on the other side, I mean, BC's defense is just an absolute, you know, they can't stop anybody. They're, you know, yeah. 121st in yards per play, 127th in yards per carry allowed. So even if Jennings can't really throw the ball, I think the mix of like Jalen Knighton and Jennings is a competent runner as well. I just, I kind of think SMU is going to lay it down here. I like, I, I see why, like all, like the, the like all like outside stuff, like got to go to Boston, probably a pseudo home game, like early kick, probably gonna be freezing. Why would SMU want to be there? But like, if these two teams play like to expectation, I, I think SMU is like way good here. 
I mean, I get it. This is to be clear, Boston College, not my favorite player. <laughs> That's absolutely true. I just when I see a team that I think is going, and I mean, you go, you know, Jeff Halfley, you talked about him being a dead man walking. I, I told you in the first bowl show that I do kind of like try to read some into motivation when I'm making these bowl picks. And I think BC overachieving, wanting to finish the season strong after getting to a bowl game, which didn't seem likely coming into the year. SMU, on the other hand, probably thinking about that G5 New Year's Six bid. I think that that's why I'm on the Boston College side <clears throat> of this. Okay, we'll see. Another uh, little head-to-head there. Yeah. Pinstripe Bowl up in my neck of the woods uh, at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Rutgers versus Miami, the local team. The Scarlet Knights making uh, their second bowl since, I believe it's 2014, under head coach Greg Schiano. Miami, don't think they were planning on being here, but we'll see. Miami, I mean, I don't have enough time to get through all the opt-outs, but plenty of players on the defense, including both key guys in the secondary as well as Tyler Van Dyke, who is now a Wisconsin Badger, and backup Emory Williams outs. What's going to be third stringer, Ja'Curry Brown. Uh, what are you thinking here, Cody, with the pinstripe bowl? Uh, possibly my least confident bowl pick of this entire bowl season. I'm taking Miami minus one and a half. I'm not entirely confident in this, but the two things that I keep coming back to, even with all the opt-outs that Miami has had, I think there is just a level of physicality, a level of athlete that Miami has in the building, even with their backups on the depth chart, that Rutgers just can't match up with. We've seen this Rutgers offense struggle against most teams that they faced. And so I think like in the trenches that they have a hard time moving the ball. And I have enough faith in some of the playmakers who are still in the building. There are not many for Mario Cristobal, but I have enough faith in some of the playmakers on that team to just eat this one out. I think it's probably going to be a very ugly game. and But, yeah, like I said, not a lot of confidence in this, but I'm going with Miami. Local team. The place is going to be packed with Rutgers fans. This is going to be packed. a huge turnout at Yankee Stadium. Are you, I'm being dead serious. People, the Rutgers Are there people, enough Rutgers fans to pack Yankee oh, Stadium? Oh, yeah, are you kidding me? The Piscataway faithful <laughs> will be taking the short trip to the Bronx to, uh, over the GW or through the Lincoln Tunnel to get to the Bronx and uh, tailgate for this one. Rutgers all day. No. Okay. Why in the world is Miami getting up for this game? Half their team isn't even there. Cristobal's trying yeah. to uh, take care of the portal and recruiting. I see very little interest here. And listen, this is a Rutgers team, 30th in EPA per play all year. So the offense is terrible, but I mean, at least you know the defense is going to show up. And I mean, there haven't been many bowl games recently, but Greg Schiano, 5-2 and two against the number in bowl games. Uh, this is a team searching for their first bowl win since 2014. I think full mm. motivation on the Rocker side. I think zero on the Miami side. Playing a pseudo-home game, and I there will be a home field advantage for sure. Uh, no one from Coral Gables is taking the trip to the Bronx to go see uh, their pretty mediocre Hurricanes, like banged-up unit. Go face out of the Scarlet Knights. I think Rutgers wins this game. It's going to be ugly as hell, but I think uh, Scarlet Knights get it done uh, in the uh, pinstripe bowl. Miami fans don't even travel to Miami Stadium, so I, I like I don't even know what we're talking about there. There's Miami doesn't have a home field advantage at all. But uh, honestly, now that I'm looking at it, this should have been another baseball stadium under. What yeah, no, this is this is going to be a really uh, really ugly one. If uh, we're also doing like the look ahead a week out in weather. I just pulled it up. New York city weather next Wednesday, right? Yeah. A week from today, right? 
Yep. 54 and raining with 20 mile an hour winds is the early uh, forecast for uh, December 27th. So we'll see uh, how that shakes out. But give me the Scarlet Knights all day. Uh, okay. Moving on to the early evening. Oh, it's uh, sorry. It's December 28th. So I lied about that. I don't have that forecast up uh, for next Thursday. I only have Wednesday. I'll come back to that. But uh, so scratch that. Wait, I got it right here. There'll be no, wind Thursday rain There'll be also. Wind getting in. Thursday rain okay. also. Less likely, though. Only a 40% chance of rain. But we'll see. A little rain start okay. coming in after Christmas. Uh, early evening, Pop-Tarts Bowl. North Carolina oh, State, yeah. Kansas State from Orlando, Florida. Uh, I mean, again, another mass exodus in the portal for Kansas State. Will Howard into the portal, the quarterback. Avery Johnson, the highly touted recruit, he's had some time this year. Not as much of a proven passer, but uh, talented for sure. So we'll see if he can get coached up uh, for this game against a loaded NC State defense. Other guys in, uh, offensive guard and future uh, early-round draft pick Cooper Beebe, as well as running back Treshawn Ward. few guys on defense like Will Lee, the cornerback, and edge Nate Matlack. Uh, all out for this one. So Kansas State really decimated here north carolina state should have a pretty good attendance for this one nothing too significant uh it's gonna be brendan armstrong's last game what are your thoughts here cody i'm taking nc state plus three i think this is another wrong team favor situation uh even with like the mj morris debacle that happened in raleigh this year with you know starting four games getting nc state on the right track and then deciding hey i don't want to be here anymore and taking his red shirt uh nc state still found a way when they turned back to brennan armstrong it seemed like it really like it was a new version of brennan armstrong like things really started to hit their stride like you mentioned this nc state defense is more than capable i think avery johnson for as talented as he is his lack of experience against an NC State defense that is both talented and highly experienced with guys like Peyton Wilson and others. I think that NC State just, I think they're the better team with what we're going to see on the field between these two. More importantly, I think Dave Dorden eating a Pop-Tart, the Pop-Tart mascot is way funnier than Chris Kleiman doing so. So give me, give me the Wolfpack. I like him outright. I agree with you hundred percent. I think the way that this team finished the year, Brennan Armstrong looks like he was uh, really revived and, Honestly, the defense is just absolutely nails for the Wolfpack, in my opinion. You, you go through some of their numbers just really briefly. Uh, NC State, 20, uh, 20th in points per drive allowed, 20th in defensive line yards. It's going to be a run-heavy Kansas State attack. I think they're going to struggle. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I like the Wolfpack. So I agree with you. I, I agree. Uh, wrong team favored yet again. So we both like the Wolfpack there. Let's go to the Alamo Bowl. One of the – not like a New oh, yeah. Year's Six Bowl, but definitely one of like the bigger bowls uh, – Yearly, we got Arizona taking on mm-hmm. Oklahoma. Arizona, obviously, banner year really came out of nowhere to have this uh, insane season. Noah Fafita looks like the guy of the future there. Oklahoma, better than last year in the first year of Brent Venable's season. Not where they want to be just yet. Few key opt-outs on the Oklahoma side. Dylan Gabriel's the biggest one. He's now the quarterback of Oregon next year. Uh, a few offensive mm-hmm. linemen have hit the portal, but the defense should be intact. Arizona. Nothing too significant to really note going into this one. Cody, what are your thoughts? This number has uh, moved from like an opener of like pick out to three. Yeah, and I'm I'm still taking the three with Arizona. I like the I like the favorite here. Uh, I fully admit I'm excited to see Jackson Arnold. Uh, Jackson Arnold was probably my favorite quarterback from the 2023 recruiting class and a really rich quarterback class. Uh, so I think that Oklahoma made the right move, you know, turning the page from Gabriel to him and handing the reins to him. 
Having said that, Arizona's defense has been quietly like there, Noah Fafita got a lot of pub for mm-hmm. when he took over and Arizona kind of taken off there. But Arizona's defense has kind of been the driving force behind this. And I think that with an inexperienced quarterback, and most importantly, you said Dylan Gray, Gabriel was the most important opt out. I think it's the offensive lineman. I believe it's four starters that are in the portal right now, not playing in this game. I think against this Arizona front, that's going to be an issue. I think Arizona dominates in the trenches. I think that they caused Jackson Arnold in his first career start, really his first like true meaningful game action. I think they caused him some problems, and I only three points. I like Arizona. Yeah, I, this is another one where I'm not super confident at the numbers, so I just thought I'd go against you. So I took the three with Oklahoma. Okay. I feel it feels like three, probably close to correct. <clears throat> I think that this number though is assuming a pretty big jump for Arizona team that has overachieved all year. I just, I can't help but think Jackson Arnold, who's going to have the entire bowl season of prep and is a very highly touted recruit. I believe the number four quarterback recruit from last year's class. Like he can't really put something together here. Like I think that maybe this number's blown a little bit too far out. I agree with you. A lot of concern about the offensive line, but OU's defense remained very good all year. Uh, particularly mm-hmm. against the run in Arizona with Jaden Delora, they were like this explosive, like volatile, like big pass offense. Fafita is not really a big time thrower, like more of a precision yeah. underneath thrower. Like if that's not there though, Oklahoma uh, eighth in defensive line yards, uh, ninth in tackles for loss and overall allow less than two points per drive. Uh, that's 26 best in the country. Like their numbers actually grayed out pretty similarly in terms, as Arizona. So I just think like getting the three, I think if these two teams played at full strength, and again, we're trying to quantify how much of a drop-off is there. I think if these two teams played on a neutral, like close to a pick, Oklahoma maybe even favored by it, like, you know, inside of a field goal. So I just, I try to gauge like what's the real difference between these teams is tricky. Mm-hmm. I saw that I had, I saw that you were on Arizona and I wasn't decided. So I was like, all right, let's mix it up a little bit. Let's get a little physical out there. I'll, I'll take a, I'll take the Sooners. I have this gut feeling that we're going to push this and Arizona is going to win by three. That's fine. No, no blood. Then. Yeah, no absolutely. Blood. That's fine. Got to make it up. Absolutely. Just put the money back in the account. Exactly. That's all we need. We move on to Friday, December 29th. Uh, the Gator Bowl, Clemson and Kentucky, two of the most uh, boring teams in the entire country do battle here. Uh, we got a noon kick in Jacksonville. So should be, you know, Pretty decent turnout for both teams on uh, you know sunny Florida around Christmas time, New Year's time. Uh, I mean, Clemson almost the entire secondary has opted out. Devin Leary, one of the worst downfield throwers in the entire country this year, so I don't know if it even matters. Uh, so how do we see it? One of this this is uh, like bottom tier like watchability rankings. Like I have no like there's nothing redeemable about either of these teams to be honest with you. Like given where they finish and- the year and stuff, like I just have no interest. And that's why I'm taking under 47 and a half because yeah. it's going to be unwatchable, man. Like I, one of my notes I have is there are a lot of opponents in the FBS level where Clemson's secondary losses would make me take that side. Kentucky's not one of them. I don't see Kentucky being able to take advantage of this. I don't think Tucky's, Kentucky's going to be able to move the ball consistently against Clemson's defensive line. I think Clemson's defensive front is going to cause them some problems, even if they do have some opt-outs, which I do expect, you know, like Barrett Carter or guys like that. So I do – I don't. I just don't have faith in Kentucky moving the ball. And then Clemson's proven – not proven all year that I can have faith in them moving the ball either. Kentucky's defense is not anything to write home about, but 
they've really been they've really struggled against like the top tier offenses they face, the Georgias of the world and teams like teams of that nature. I'm not sure Clemson's nearly that caliber. So 47 and a half just feels a little bit too high. Yeah, I uh I agree. I'm a little scarred from some of the totals I played already that uh maybe like this game just gets loose and stuff, but like which offense is doing that? Like I have no idea. Yeah, right. Devin Leary completing only 34% of his passes under pressure this year. And Clemson's defensive line is pretty much intact. So I think they're gonna be able to get that. Uh I mean Kentucky's 98th in terms of success rate through the year. I just think this is an ugly game. No real interest. I'll take the under with you. Hopefully, uh I check the score in like the third quarter and it's like 10-7 and you know, just keep moving. Yeah, this is this is good nap time game. Check yeah. the score. Hope it's under. I, I think the next game might be a nap time game as well. Uh, the Sun Bowl between Oregon State and Notre Dame. If you knew a guy, he's probably out. Uh, pretty much all the ones are out for both teams uh, on this one. I mean, Hartman, Estime, Joe Alt, uh, all the receivers, all out for Notre Dame. Oregon State. DJU is out. Aiden Childs is uh, at Michigan State now. David Martinez, he got arrested, said he was going to play, then opted out. Uh, both coaching staffs, a lot of turnover. This number was 10. It's now six and a half. I'll go first. I'm taking the points with Oregon State. I don't know. There's no difference between these two teams. You have no idea what's going to happen. Might as well take the team. That's plus yeah. six and a half. Yeah, this plus is six like and a half, dumb, why not? This one, like in the Clemson, Kentucky, like no idea. This one, though, probably higher because of like you don't know what's going to happen like you have no idea who like half these people are so it could get funny whereas like the clemson kentucky one is just brutal oh yeah some dude you never heard of could rush for like 320 yards in this game and you're like what the hell just happened here but uh i i don't think that's actually going to happen i have oregon state team total under 18 and a half i don't see like if this game ended like 7-3 or like the, you know, app Miami, Ohio, 13-9, something like that, would not surprise me. I don't see like, honestly, 18, 18 and a half points. I don't see either team getting over that number. Like this is going to be an ugly game where both teams, I just don't think have it. I do trust Notre Dame's defense though. Even with some of the opt-outs they have on that side of the ball, I think they are a superior talent. I expect Oregon State's star offensive linemen, both tackles that are going to the NFL, I expect them to both, both opt out of this game if they haven't already. And so I just think that Notre Dame's defense is going to be able to limit Oregon State even more so than Oregon State's going to be able to limit Notre Dame. But, yeah, this is ugly. I just It's going to be awful. Yeah. Uh, help Oregon State veteran quarterback Ben Gilbranson taking over. He, was, he started a handful of games last year. Maybe he keeps them on track. But, yeah, I'm just going to take the points and what's probably an ugly game. Uh, on the 29th, 3.30 kick, the Liberty Bowl, Memphis, Iowa State should be pretty much close to uh, full attendance from both sides. So, Cody, uh, we got Iowa State laying up. Big number. This is played at Memphis's home field, actually. Uh, you got mm-hmm. Iowa State laying 9.5, total 57.5. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm laying them. I'm laying the big number with Iowa State at nine and a half. Uh, Memphis is fraudulent. If I'm being completely honest with you, I think Memphis is one of the most fraudulent teams in the country. They're outside the top 100 in defensive success rate, and they rely so heavily on their offense. But Iowa State is a top 35 defense at the Power Five level in terms of success rate. And we also saw this Iowa State offense throughout the season with Rocco Beck getting more reps as a freshman starting to really come into his own and really start to get this Iowa State offense in a res- at least a respectable place. I think they're able to take advantage of Memphis. I think Memphis is able to put up some points, but I don't think it's – I think they're going to have a hard time playing against the Power 5 defense that is a quality unit. And so I just – I think it's enough to 
lay the points with Iowa State. Yeah, I'm going to go over in this one. Iowa State, they've been an explosive pass offense all year, and Memphis defense is an absolute sieve. Uh, Iowa State, fourth in explosive run, 10th in explosive pass. Memphis, they're one of the worst defenses I've ever seen. Uh, they're six worst, yeah. the sixth worst tackling team per PFF and 108th in yards per play. Uh, the offense scores more than three points per drive, though, so I think Seth Hennigan could kind of cook here. Against Iowa State defense, keep an eye on this. Few injuries. Uh, Malik Verdon, their safety, he got hurt, and the backup, Ben Nickel, also got hurt, so something to keep an eye on. I just think over here, mm-hmm. I think this game is one of those that could really just be big plays all over. So I'll take the over 57.5. Let's go. Now we're in the home stretch. Uh, December 30th, the Music City Bowl, Auburn, Maryland, Nissan Stadium in Nashville. So maybe you get, oh, I'm sorry. We're doing the Cotton Bowl first. That's my bad. Uh, the Cotton Bowl between Missouri and Ohio State, laundry list of opt outs for Ohio State, including starting quarterback Kyle McCord, uh, TBD on Marvin Harrison Jr., and Travion Henderson. But you're going to be seeing a lot of guys out for this one. Missouri's moved all the way from like a six and a half point underdog to a one point favorite as of this writing i think we posted some little stale numbers but inside of a field goal what are your thoughts here cody uh i'm taking missouri minus two and a half man it's i who's playing quarterback for ohio state is it devin brown because he was injured yeah. at the end of the year no, it's Devin Brown. okay so even if it is devin brown this is a guy who lost a quarterback battle to kyle mccord who we were critical of the entire year i understand missouri's defense is a little susceptible but I also think we're going to see some opt-outs on the defensive side of the ball. I also think, in my opinion, it's not a question of if Marvin Harrison Jr. is playing. He is opting out of this bowl game. He, there's no reason for him to play in the freaking Cotton Bowl. And so I think that Missouri with Eli Drinkwitz, what we've seen from Brady Cook, Luther Burden, and uh, Cody Schrader this season, I think that with what I suspect will be a depleted Ohio State defense, like I expect JTT out, I expect probably Sawyer to be out, I expect Denzel Burke yep. to be out, I think it's just a shorthanded Ohio State team, and I think Missouri is more than capable of taking advantage of it. Another one where motivation's everything. Missouri's had a great year. I just, I think, is Ohio State getting up for this game? And, like, you know, I, I know, like, oh, Tal and Ohio State, like, they're just more blue chips. I, Missouri's really good. <laughs> Missouri competing yeah. in the SEC, uh, arguably the third best team in the SEC this year. So uh, I like the I like the Tigers as well. I'll join you uh, as small favorites there. That number has come down a little bit, but I mean, inside of a field goal is cool with me. We move on to the yeah. Peach Bowl between Ole Miss and Penn State. Handful of opt-outs on the Penn State side, including pass rusher Chop Robinson, but should be Drew Aller, should be Katron Allen and Nick Singleton against a hopefully healthier Ole Miss side with Jackson Darden. Uh, <laughs> Quinshawn Judkins both announcing they're going to return. Got Penn State about four-point favor, total of 44.5. What are your thoughts on the Peach Bowl? Wrong team favored, man. Ole Miss plus four. I think that Ole Miss wins this game outright. I think that we have not seen the end of the Penn State opt-outs. I think we're going to see some in the secondary. I think it's not unlikely that Olu Fashanu opts out. He's been the one consistent offensive lineman on this this, um, Penn State offensive line, which – underperformed by what we by the expectations we had for them coming into the season. I think he's probably going to protect his draft stock to opt out. And the one thing this Ole Miss defense has done well, they're obviously taking big strides in the portal this offseason, but one thing they did well was rush the passer. They get after the passer. We've seen Drew Alar struggle continuously throughout this year, and we've seen uh, Penn State wide receivers struggle to separate against just about any defense of any kind of quality. I think the Penn State offense has a little bit of trouble getting going in this game, and I don't think that Without Chop Robinson, without why I would assume Kalen King's probably not going to play in this game. I don't think that 
I think Lane Kiffin has a lot of success against a Penn State team that also is changing over both coordinators. So I think there's a little bit of a transition period that we're trying to figure out there. I like Ole Miss in this game to win outright. Yeah, I, at this number of guys, just take the points with Ole Miss. I don't know if it's wrong team favored. So I do think Penn State, even with some guys out, like the defense is still pretty nails. Uh, Manny Diaz yeah. won't be coaching, so maybe that's a bit of a drop off. But like, I don't know if Ole Miss is necessarily getting up. I mean, have you seen what they've been doing in the portal? Like, that team oh is gear, that team is gearing up for a run next year. So I do wonder if maybe Lane isn't has been as focused uh, for Penn State. We'll see how it goes. But I think at this number, low total, uh, take the points with Ole Miss. Now to the Music City Bowl. Uh, Auburn out to a six point favorite after Talia Tagovailoa opted out of Maryland, uh, opted out of the bowl game for Maryland. Uh, Cody, let's just speak brief here. Is the drop off enough for Maryland without Talia Tagovailoa? This was Auburn minus two and a half, even if there's maybe a hint of like no Talia in the game baked into that. Uh, is the drop off enough or should Auburn maybe be through a touchdown? Uh, Auburn should be through a touchdown. Okay. I Maryland with Talia. They quit at the end of the season. This was a team absolutely on quit watch. They looked like they had no interest in being out on the football field. Why are they going to want to go to the Music City Bowl and play an Auburn team that's closer to home, going to probably have a stark advantage in terms of the fan base that's going to be there, and also an Auburn team that, trying to read into motivation, I think is trying to establish their roots with the Hugh Freeze era and like get some good vibes going into the 2024 season, going into the portal. So I do think that Auburn has a little bit more motivation here, and I think that I mean, you could honestly put this near double digits, and I'm still taking the Tigers. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Maryland outside the top 80 in terms of EPA per rush, so that doesn't do them any favors against an, a run-heavy Auburn team. And also, uh, Hugh Freeze, 6-1 straight up and against the spread in bowl games. He typically tends to thrive in these types of situations. So let's keep it moving, though, as we motor through onto the Orange Bowl, 4 o'clock kick between Georgia and Florida State. Again, I'll pose a question for you. Is this like what everyone's talking about? Like Florida State could shock the world and like prove they deserve to be in the CFP, or are they going to get romped by Georgia, who's laying two touchdowns? Uh, Georgia is going to stomp a mud hole in this team. Yeah. Uh, you look. I. I. My biggest thing is I look at the ACC championship game and how Florida State beat Louisville, and they did it with their best defensive performance of the season. Jared Verse, Pat Payton, all these guys on the defensive side of the ball really getting after Jack Plummer. Those guys are not playing in this game. And they're also going to be against a much better offensive line in Georgia. Tate Rodemaker in this offense, particularly with Trey Benson also opting out for Florida State, I just don't see how Florida State puts points on the board. Carson Beck is playing in this game. We're going to see a good amount of the weapons. I doubt Brock Bowers plays, but we'll see. Uh, but we're going to see a good amount of the weapons for Georgia. I, I think this is an absolute bloodbath. Yeah, I agree. I like Georgia. Uh, Arizona Bowl, Toledo, Wyoming. We got a... Uh, 4.30 kick. It's on uh, Barstool Network, but also uh, being streamed on CW, which is news to me. Uh, Craig Bowles' last game with the Pokes before he retires. Craig Bowl. I mean, they should call it B-O-H-L, Craig Bowl. They should call it Bowl season. The guy's an absolute monster when it comes to Bowls. 12-3 and three against the number, uh, taking on Daquan Finless, Toledo, Jason Candle, 1-5 and five against the number in Bowl games. Um I mean, they're down a ton of key guys to lead out. Wyoming should have full attendance. Uh, I laid it with Wyoming. I, I think they win this game pretty yeah. comfortably. Same. Uh, I don't have – I low-key, I do not like Jason Candle as a coach. I definitely don't like him without Daquan Finn. Yeah. 
Uh, let's move on here to New Year's Day, noon kick. Rely Quest Bowl, Wisconsin taking on Jaden Daniels, less LSU, but they will have Malik Neighbors. Uh, you got LSU laying eight right now, total of 54 and a half. What are your thoughts here, Cody? Oh, you got to go over in this one. A, I mm-hmm. think Garrett Nussmeyer is an actually like highly talented quarterback. I think like he's not going to put up the numbers that Jaden Daniels is. Obviously, not going to run like Jaden Daniels, but I think he's going to have a lot of success in the passing attack. And this LSU defense is still an absolute sieve. They are still going to give up whatever Wisconsin wants to do. Braylon Allen might run for 600, 700 yards. Who knows? <laughs> That's an exaggeration, obviously. But like Wisconsin is going to have a lot of offensive success because everyone has had offensive success against LSU. So this number is way too low. I think it's trying to bake in Jaden Daniels not playing, but underestimating Garrett Nussmeyer. Yeah, Nussmeyer more than capable, uh, especially against Wisconsin defense. It just isn't very good this year. Uh, struggled under uh, first-year D.C. Mike Trussell. Uh, I agree with you. I'm on the over as well. Uh, I think Mordecai's playing for Wisconsin, should be able to get a few points. LSU over in 11 of 12 games this season. Mm-hmm. All right, two more. We got the Fiesta Bowl, Liberty, Oregon. Liberty, we spoke about SMU earlier. Liberty ends up getting the G5 uh, New Year's Six Bowl after their undefeated season, but it was against arguably the easiest schedule in the entire country. No discrediting, though, you Got beaters on your schedule. So shout out to the Flames. Should have Caden Salter for Liberty against Oregon, who is supposed to have Bo Nix. He said he was going to play in the game. But there are some key guys out for Oregon, like Bucky Irving, the running back. Uh, James is a pretty good backup, though. Uh, and Troy Franklin also opted out. So uh, what do you think here, Liberty, Oregon? You got Oregon laying uh, the biggest favorite of the bowl calendar, Oregon's like 17 and a half with a total of 66 and a half. Yeah, I seriously considered continuing my anti-Oregon bias and taking Liberty, but I'm instead going to take the over 65 and a half. Uh, I think this game is just fast and loose, baby. I think it's going to be absolutely wild. Talladega super speedway at the Fiesta Bowl. It's going to be like for as non-competitive as Liberty's schedule was, this offense and Caden Salter are big-time players. And Jamie Chadwell has a unique scheme that is tough to defend. I think Oregon maybe has a little bit of a lack of motivation. They're playing Liberty. Like, Oregon may not be that motivated. But I also think Oregon doesn't need to be that motivated to also put up a lot of points of their own, even without, like, some key weapons like you just mentioned in Irving and Franklin. I think that this game is just back and forth. I think Oregon comes out as a comfortable winner in this one. But I do think Liberty more than does their part to get over 65 and a half. Yeah, I took a bit of an alternate route. I took the team total over 41 and a half for Oregon. Uh, okay. Liberty against this easy schedule, still like just national average in terms of EPA per play, 70, uh, 71st in EPA per play. Oregon, like I think they're going to be able to stop them. I think they're going to be able to score it well. I respect Liberty's offense, but I do wonder if maybe this jump in class like kind of catches up with them and they struggle. So I'll uh, take the Oregon team total over. I, I don't really have like – I don't. I doubt I'm really going to watch this game. To be honest with you, just given like what else is on it uh, in the next window uh, with the yeah. CFP. But I do think Oregon could do their part to get over here and hang a big number. You know, you go through Oregon's games; they had little issue kind of putting up big points against inferior competition. Like I, I know, like they went to Stanford, put up 42. Uh, they put up 35 at uh, Utah, 13 at Arizona State. You know, they were able 63 home against Cal. So I think they're going to be able to cook uh, on a fast track. Last bowl game, uh, we got the Citrus Bowl. Iowa, Tennessee, contrasting styles. Top five team in terms of plays per minute. 
bottom five team in terms of plays per minute in Iowa. Uh, this game should be hilarious because of the two different styles, but what's your best bet for it, Cody? Uh, it may be two different styles, but the one thing I'm sure of is both of these offenses absolutely stink and the defense is their two best units. So give me under 36 and a half. I think this is an, uh, I think this might quietly be one of the ugliest games of bowl season. Not that surprising because it is Iowa, but I think people are underestimating how lackluster Tennessee has been offensively this season. And then you're going up against one of the better defenses in the country in Iowa. I think this is absolutely ugly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like the under 36 and a half as well. So what it comes down to, uh, I don't trust Joe Milton to really lift this Tennessee offense up. There's not going to be any Jalen Wright, the star running back, 1,000-yard rusher for the Vols. He's in the NFL draft now. It's going to come on Joe Milton. I just don't trust him. I mean, the guy really struggles to just move the ball down the field. Iowa, for all their offensive issues, the defense is still elite, and the punter is unbelievable. I, Corey I Taylor, think, baby. Uh, yeah, give me the under in this interest ball. I just don't have much interest in trusting Tennessee to win with margin, nor for Iowa to keep up. So I like the under as well. I mean, Tennessee could conceivably win this game like 27 nothing. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. All right. There you go. My voice is still intact. Your voice is still intact. We hit every bowl game in just about an hour, a little, little more than an hour there for the second half of our bowl preview. If you like this stuff, if you want to catch up uh, before – the pre-Christmas bowls go back to our last episode. You could check out the remaining bowl games. But yeah, there's bowls 26th through January 1st, including the college football playoff semifinals. We will be back at a time to be determined in the future uh, for our national championship preview. But uh, Cody, best of luck with all the plays. Thank you all for listening through the uh, bulk of the season. We got one yes. game left, so that's pretty much it. But, Cody, it's been a pleasure. Uh, looking forward to the national championship episode, which will be on January 3rd. Uh, breaking news yes. in uh, in front of the air. <laughs> uh, January 3rd national championship episode. But, Cody, it's been a hell of a season. For all those that listen, it's been yes. a hell of a season. Uh, and, yeah, looking forward to the rest of the Bulls. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Reed. It's been absolute pleasure. Hope to see you next year. But we still got one more game, one more national championship game breakdown. And, and a lot of uh, bowl games to sit through and have uh, some heart. Oh, of course. During. So uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But until then, guys, pray, pray you're not on the ODU side. Yeah, please just avoid those as long as life is avoiding the <laughs> ODU side. Uh, but happy holidays to everyone. Enjoy the bowl games. We will see you again on January 3rd for our national championship preview. Until then, uh, enjoy all the games. Enjoy all the games.